I shared a, a, a kind of a joke, in the, well, I thought it was a joke in the first service about why God created women, Mother's Day coming up and all. It uh, didn't go over very big. It wasn't very funny at all. So we're going to, we threw that joke away. And, uh, but I, I, now this one's a little different. It really is. Somebody laid it on my desk after the service. Maybe they thought the first joke was bad and I need another one. So they, they laid this on my desk and <laughs> it's kind of funny, but you have to have a sense of humor. I, I don't know if it's a true story or not. I, my guess is it's not. But it's, uh, it, the title is that a woman stops uh, an alligator attack with a small caliber Beretta pistol. And um, this is a story of self-control, marksmanship by a brave, cool-headed woman with a small pistol against a fierce predator. Uh, what is the smallest caliber that you could trust to protect yourself? Well, she said it's a Beretta Jetfire 25 caliber that she credited with saving her life, and that this is her testimony. While out walking along the edge of a bayou just uh, below uh, Huma, Louisiana, with my soon-to-be ex-husband discussing property settlement and other divorce issues, we were surprised by a huge 12-foot alligator suddenly emerging from the murky water, charging us with its jaws wide open. The gator must have been protecting her nest because she was extremely aggressive. If I had not had my little Beretta Jetfire 25 caliber pistol with me, I wouldn't be here today to tell you this story. Just one shot to my estranged husband's kneecap was all it took. The gator got him easily. I was able to escape by just walking away at a brisk pace. One of my best pistols ever in my collection. Plus, the entire amount was paid for the attorney fees that I didn't have to go through when I purchased the gun in the first place. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> I've come to rescue him. So that was uh, Mother's Day's next week. How many of you women know Mother's Day's next week? I need rescue. You're either a mother or a daughter, or you wouldn't be here today. Hallelujah. But we have a special guest, and I forgot to announce it earlier. I didn't know it, actually, until my uh, little compadre down in Mexico, Gina, who calls me Mama Pam, called me this week and said, um, I'm going to come see you on Mother's Day. And uh, so we're going to have her share next week on Sunday. She's How many awesome. of you have ever? She's just awesome. She's awesome. If you've ever seen her in action, she's and a uh, fireball. She, she is a fireball, and she she could handle that pistol. Yeah, <laughs> she might have handled one once, but you know, she's she's just a wonderful woman of God, and uh, and she's trying to do some things for God that I had shared on Wednesday night, uh, in trying to add on to a school that she started several years ago, actually by herself. Uh, she came to Bible school in Tulsa when my husband and I were there as pastors and also as over the Bible school. And she just left her family. Her parents disowned her because she wouldn't finish college. She left. She came to Tulsa. She went to Bible school. She graduated. She went back to Mexico and has done wonderful things for God. And one of those things is to build a school for children to teach them English and to teach them about Jesus in her Christian school. And so she has the opportunity to get more property. And that's really what started the conversation because we've offered to help with that purchase of that property, both, you know, as a church here, my husband and I on the board there. So uh, I was so excited. I couldn't understand her on the phone very well. I think this is what started it. And she said she kept trying to tell me something. She speaks Spanish all the time except talking to me when she calls me down in Mexico. She has no need to speak English where she's at. 
And so it's really difficult to understand her English sometimes over the phone. And so she said, um, I'm just going to come see you instead. And I thought, I'm really glad because it's Mother's Day. She's called me Mama Pam from when they brought her to Bible school in Tulsa. And uh, so I have a daughter coming next week from Mexico to share with you about Jesus. And she's just a fireball. That's actually the frame of her 50th birthday, which was a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> and she had that picture made. And that's Alfonso, her husband. And she has three beautiful children. So She's an awesome lady. She's a, a missionary, evangelist, church planter. She's been involved in planting many, many churches down in Mexico along with Dwayne Kirshner and actually helped launch that entire ministry. It'll be a great, great time. Let's make our confession. We'll get it up there, and you'll love Gina, and you'll understand her also. Let's say, I am here on purpose because I have a purpose. My heart is open. My mind is ready to receive because God is not finished with me yet. My best days are right in front of me. I have the victory in my life because Jesus lives in me. Can you say amen? If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the uh, uh, Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be reading there in just a few moments. But uh, Sunday or Saturday, I was out behind Walmart getting ready for uh, the message. And I just, a little favorite place I go out there. It's real quiet. And every once in a while, I see the deers run through. And you know the story the other day about I had gotten a, a saw a, a homeless man come out of the woods. And uh, we ended up in, in contact with him and helping him and hopefully going to be able to get him back to Oakland, California and take care of some needs in his life. And so we're really excited about that. And I get a call from my, my uh, son-in-law, Joey, that, that somebody had showed up in his driveway knocking on their door, as Lori just told you. And uh, the rest of the story was we were able to help her, as Lori had said. But when the call came from Joey, uh, I felt like the Lord was giving me a message on being content and how important it is to live a life of contentment right where you are, believing for what you're believing for, but being content in the situation that you were in. And the situation that I was in at the moment was that I had other things to do. I was getting ready for the Sunday service. I didn't want to be interrupted. How many of you don't like to be interrupted? Can I see your hands? So you're not content a lot of times, are you? <laughs> because we get interrupted. That's what life is sometimes, one constant interruption. And that we need to understand that that's the way life is. There are needs that pull on us when we don't plan for them to pull on us. And so I wasn't really excited about the interruption. I, I felt like the Lord was giving me a message for me that I needed to spend more time being content with my life instead of more time being upset or concerned about things in life. How many of you know that there are things in your life that are going great and you're rejoicing and you thank God for it? And there are things in your life that haven't gone the way you would hope they would yet. But yet, if you let that steal your contentment, then you are going to be up and down vacillating, having peace in your life and not having peace in your life. And the Apostle Paul is a great example for us. He wrote two-thirds of the New Covenant, the New Testament. And what we're about to read right now is Paul explaining to us how we should live our lives. So tell your neighbor, you're going you're gonna to hear how you should live your life. And uh, years ago, years ago, in, um, when we were uh, on staff in Tulsa, Pastor Billy Joe, on many occasions, used to share this story. And he was a youth pastor at the time. 
God hadn't opened the door yet for him to become a pastor, and he's in heaven now, but, but he, he had the director, the, the um, national director for the churches that Amy Simple McPherson founded uh, was sharing in the church that Billy Joe was at in Tulsa, and uh, he was the supervisor for all of the four square churches around the nation. There used to be several of them, hundreds and hundreds of them. And so he followed him out to the car at the end of the service as the youth pastor, and he, and he told the guy, he said, as he was getting ready to get in his car, he said, if there's one thing that you could tell me that would benefit me for the rest of my life in ministry, what would it be? And he turned around and he looked at me and he said, don't get bitter and you'll always get better. Got in, shut the door and drove off just like that. And he said, I stood there in the, in looking at him as he drove off. Don't get, if, you, if you don't get bitter, you'll always get better. And he said that years later, I found out that was the best advice in ministry and in life that I have ever received. If you don't get bitter, you'll always get better. Well, how do you keep from getting bitter so that you can get better? I believe you decide to be content in everything that goes on, everything that you do, and that you let nothing take that from you. In the book of Philippians, there are two scriptures uh, uh, two uh, scriptures that stand out to all of us. You all know these. If you've been around this church, I meditate them continually. I hope you do too. Philippians 4.13 says this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.19 says, My God will supply all of my needs according to His glory. At riches and glory. Now, there, therefore, we are so excited about those scriptures. My God will take care of me. He'll supply all of my needs. Paul wrote both of those scriptures while he was in prison. We are led to believe that he was beaten. He had stripes on his back. And he wrote that epistle in prison. Some think it was his first. Some think it was his second letter. Some think that was on down the road. It doesn't really matter he wrote that while he was in prison. Now, I've never seen a Roman prison, but I've seen pictures of them, and I have heard what they're like. They are horrible. They starve you. There's little water. There are rodents running around. It's cold. It's damp. And the people hate you. And here's Paul praising God right in the midst of all of it. Over in Acts, there's another story about Paul praising God after he had been beaten again and been, had been whipped and had lashes on his back. And it says that he and Silas are praising the Lord and singing praises and praying and that they witness to the prison. How many of you realize that if you're thrown in the typical New County Jail and you're not given enough food and you get beaten in the process, which you probably wouldn't be here, but how many of you realize you probably wouldn't be thinking about praising God? You'd probably be thinking about what did I do wrong or what did somebody else do wrong to get me in this mess? I, I sometimes wonder if Paul ever just sat down and said, God, are you sure I'm following you? Because it seems like every time I do what you said, I get beaten. Uh, I have found out sometimes that when I do what God tells me to do in my prayer journal, sometimes i got to shut my eyes and remember what he told me in the prayer journal because the results I'm seeing are anything but bringing contentment in my life. As a matter of fact, they seem to be bringing some upheaval in situations with people and, and things of that nature. So what we have to do is get a grip on how do I live the rest of my life with contentment. I know what it's like to be totally content, and I'm a good husband when I am. I know what it's like to be not content 
and I am horrible to live with. And she would never tell you that, but I will tell you that. I am horrible. So she desires that I be content, and I desire that she be content. I can always tell when my wife is not content. My wife smiles all the time. She's got a beautiful, radiant smile. I love it. But when she's not content with the way things are going in life, I can tell instantly because the smile goes away. Now, the smile is going to be there the rest of the day. I know that. But some, sometimes she'll, she'll, I'll, I'll see the smile that will be gone. I'll say, you need to smile. And she goes, you, you said this a couple. There's nothing to smile about. I said, yes, sir. I said, Look, looky right here. And she'll get, <laughs> and she'll get that radiant <laughs> smile. We've got to be careful what we focus on. I don't know what it would have been like to be Paul. I, I, I really don't. I just, I, I admire him. Uh, I can't imagine what it's like. Now, look at this. In, it's in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. Paul said, I, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. The Philippian church was given to him, uh, though you surely did care but lacked opportunity. Verse number 11. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then he says, however, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How many of you found out Sometimes it's going great. It's awesome. Everything is wonderful. And then sometimes it's like, all hell broke loose. And I feel like I'm doing exactly what God says. You know, and, and, and what happens then is, if we're not careful, we can lose our contentment with what we're doing. We always need to examine, am I doing exactly what God said or not, to the best of my ability. But Paul said, I have learned to be content. That means he learned what he needed to learn by his experiences. Let's all say it. I am learning to be content. How many of you have found out that you have not arrived yet and you have not learned everything apparently yet because you're not always content? May I see your hand? And here's what the devil loves to do. We're going to talk about it in just a moment. He loves to steal your contentment in the Word of God and for you to be okay. I'm sitting there Saturday. You would think I know better. It just happened to me, what, a month earlier? A month earlier, I'm sitting there, and this man interrupts my prayer time by coming out of the woods and being homeless. And I am praying, and I'm getting ready for the message, and he has interrupted me. Well, now we have a great relationship because that interruption turned out to be a tremendous blessing. And this man is really, uh, he's my friend. He's not here today, but David is my friend. And we're believing that he'll be to Oakland very shortly. But then the call comes in from, from a Joey, and, and he says, Bill, there's, there's this homeless woman in my driveway, and uh, now she's in our house. We're talking to her, and she's got this beautiful child with her. And, uh, and I said, okay, you know, I, this is not what I said. This is what I thought. Why are you bothering me? Why don't you take care of it? Well, it wasn't for him to take care of. He knew that I needed to get involved. I didn't say that to him, but anyway, 
So he, he took her over to the hotel, he and Lori, like Lori just told you. So I went to the hotel to meet the woman. And uh, she's a precious lady. Her daughter is absolutely beautiful, seven-year-old girl. And they're going to be going to Albuquerque. And she needed, she needed a couple of nights stay in the hotel. And she, she told me a story. And, and, and so we were just sitting there talking. And I said, well, do you have your ticket to get to Albuquerque? And uh, she said, yeah, I do. And I said, well, why don't you go to your room and get it for me? And uh, she said, don't you trust me? And I said, I trust you, but I want to verify what you're saying because you don't know me and I don't know you. And so she went to the room and got it. She had everything that she had need of. And so we were able to take care of her. When I got all finished with her, the lack of contentment that I had when I was interrupted being a, a Levite and being a Pharisee and being a Sadducee and being a, what is that other guy, uh, uh, the, the whatever, uh, they interrupted my prayer time. Uh, I felt really great. I thought, you know what, this is, this is what life is all about. We're able to take this woman, this child, and get them a place to stay and get them to Albuquerque or help them get to Albuquerque. And, and, and so it was really exciting. But I had lost my contentment for a moment because that was my time. Turn to your neighbor and tell them you don't have any time. Our time belongs to God. And if you understand that, and if we'll enter into living his word, it will change our life. And Paul is saying, I learned how to be content. I learned that whether, I, it doesn't say it exactly like this, but he's saying I learned how to be abound, abound and how to be abased. What he's basically saying is I learned how to be content that if I'm doing what God called me to do and they throw me in jail and beat me with a rod, I'm content. If they beat me and put lashes on my back, I'm content. If they feed me in jail, I'm content. If they don't feed me in jail, I'm content. If the kids like me, I'm content. If the kids don't like me, I'm not content. If the kids serve the Lord, I'm content. If they don't serve the Lord, I mean, you've got kids not serving the Lord. Can you see your hands? Let's all say, I'm content. Sometimes you'll see people that say, I got this horrible situation. And I, I understand emotions. I understand all that. But then you have to get over them. Otherwise, you're going to lose your contentment because of somebody else. And years ago, I had a man tell me this that changed my life entirely. He said, Bill, don't ever let an external force control your emotions that you can't control. Don't ever let an external force control your emotions. And a lot of times what we do is we let our, our guard down and we let something that is outside control us. I'm not saying you don't react and respond emotionally. I understand that. We all do. But then we get control through the self-control of the Holy Spirit and say, you know what? I'm not going to lose my peace. I'm not going to lose my joy. I'm not going to lose my contentment over this. I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to do whatever I can to help it. But I'm not going to change who I am. Tell your neighbor, don't change who you are. Now turn back and tell them, if you're content. <laughs> if you're not content, you need to change who you are because God can't use you. And the Word of God says that we should always have God's peace in us. Peace will draw you and draw people to you. If you're walking with the peace of God, people will be drawn to you. The Word of God in Isaiah 26.3 says that perfect peace is, is, is available to those who focus upon the Lord because they trust in Him. In other words, when you focus upon the Lord and say, God will take care of all my needs. Matter of fact, let's say it. God will take care of all my needs. Tell your neighbor that. God will take care of all your needs. If we really believe that, then we will have peace to trust God with everything 
Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. I've come to give you peace, and that that peace is already established. Now listen to this. I was thinking about this as I was praying. Paul was doing his work for the Lord after Jesus had gone on to be with the Father at the right hand. Paul had been given the same power, authority, and dominion that you and I have. Same power, authority, and dominion. He had the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He had the power of the Holy Spirit. And what happened to Paul? He got beaten. He got stripes on his back. He got thrown into prison. He got bit by a snake. You know, he could have given up anywhere along the line. And my guess is nobody here has had that much happen to them. But in the world today, this is going on right now. These types of things. We live in an absolute bubble in this nation because I believe God set us aside. But there are still things that we will go through here that we need to realize that just because you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, just because you have the power of the Holy Spirit, just because the baptism of the Holy Spirit is within you and you know you have the Holy Spirit in you, that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit inside you, you have opportunities just like Paul did because Paul had everything that you and I have. But yet he said, even though I go through hardships, I'm okay. I am content. I have learned to be content. Let's just say, I have learned to be content. Now, let's look at a couple of things right here because, number one, the word peace means a calmness, a perfect well-being, a state of rest and quietness, total absence of strife, total tranquility. How many of you say amen you'd like that? Everybody say, I'd like some of that stuff. Tell your neighbor, I want some of that stuff. But if you're not careful with life, you can become very bitter. Bitter because of circumstances or situations with people. Almost always with people, but definitely with circumstances that happen. And if you don't deal with bitterness, it becomes a root. And we're going to deal with a root in people today. And I believe the Holy Spirit will show you if you have a root of bitterness. But in my life, I did not realize it when I got saved. But I had a root of bitterness before I got saved. I had a root of bitterness after I got saved. If you don't deal with a root of bitterness in your life, it will always be there. Always be there ready to fester at any moment and take control of you, giving a place to the devil. Bitterness is when you feel like things aren't going the way that they should have. You feel like you have been wrong. As a matter of fact, the word bitterness means, the word bitterness is, it means poison, resentment, disappointment, and anger. I believe bitterness is a poison that sometimes it's dormant in our body and then sometimes it resurrects. But what happens is Jesus said, Not let, don't let your heart be troubled. Bitterness will trouble your heart. Trouble means to be unsettled, to stir up, to agitate, to be disturbed, an upheaval in the spirit and bringing confusion. I believe that trouble, many people are troubled, but they don't know why they're troubled. They think it's the family line or they think it's something wrong with their body. But what really troubles them is that spirit of bitterness, that, that bitterness within them that they've never dealt with because somebody wronged you at one time or another, something went wrong, 
you took an offense and it brought trouble into your mind. And what happens then is that it locks you up in your mind. See, the good news is that your mind has been set free and that some people are in jails and, and they're actual captives. There are some people that are in jail and their mind is free and they are free. But there are some people that they're not in jail, but their mind has captivated them. They have that door shut in their mind and it's locked because of bitterness in their heart. And I've seen some of you, I know your personal story. I know that you have been delivered from a root of bitterness. And others, you still have it in your life, and the Holy Spirit will show you. If you don't deal with bitterness, it'll always be ready to grab a hold of you and take control of you. There's a story years ago about Houdini, and I looked it up on the Internet because I wasn't sure. I want to make sure it was a true story, and I found two versions. One of them is it is a true story. One of them is it's not a true story. And uh, so I'm going with the one that said it is a true story because I want to use the story. But Houdini was one of the most famous magicians that lived back in the early 1900s. He was sleight of hand. Everything he did, there was a reason for it. He didn't have supernatural power. But on this one occasion, they they were dedicating a new jail in uh, uh, England. And, and this new jail was, was the type of jail that nobody could ever break out of it on these individual cells. And they were, if anybody could break out of it, they were offering $25,000, which is a huge amount of money at that time. And Houdini uh, uh, heard about it and contacted them and said, I will come over to England at my own expense, and I will break out of that cell. Uh, and I will take the $25,000. And they thought, oh, here's an international name. This would be more publicity for us. And so they decided to do it. And so he went over there. As was the case with Houdini, much of the magic that he did was in locks. And the locks that, that he would be able to get out of, people thought it was all supernatural and all of that. But basically, his, his plan was, and what he always did, was his wife would always have a key in her mouth. And this key was some type of a skeletal, all-purpose key. And that just before he would go in to be whatever it was, they would kiss. And she would transmit the key into his mouth. And then he would have a key to unlock the chains that were chaining him. And on this occasion, they were standing outside the jail with all of the celebrities and all of the fanfare and everything. And he sa- they said, are you ready to go in there? And he said, yes. And they said, okay, let's go in. He said, I want to kiss my wife first. And they said, no, no contact, no touch, nothing. You cannot touch anybody directly into the cell. And they helped usher him right into the cell. And he didn't get a chance to kiss his wife. So he didn't have the key that he needed to unlock that lock. They shut that door and everybody left and said, we'll be in the adjoining room down the hallway. And if you can get out of there, you come and see us in an hour. And if you can't, we'll come and see you in an hour. And that's the way it was. And the story goes that Houdini is in the cell, and he's walking around thinking, I can't get out. I've finally failed. And he sits down and sits for a while and thinks about it, and then he gets up and he walks for a while. And on one occasion, he happened to walk by the door, and he leaned against it, and the door opened. And he looked at it again, and he moved the door, and the door opened. In all of the confusion, with all of the fanfare that was going on, the jailer had not locked the door. He was free. Now, only years later did he tell the story, but he walked out of the cell, walked down the hallway, and said, where's my $25,000? I say that story to you because 
the cell to your the, the, the door to the cell in your mind has been unlocked by Jesus. You are not captivated anymore by a bitter root. You have been freed by the blood of Jesus. You don't ever have to go there again. Will you have things that will happen in your life like, like Paul? Uh, you know, beaten, shipwrecked, bit by a snake, people turn against you and you try to help them, all those kind of things? Yes, yes, and yes. Yes, yes, and yes. I helped a man three months ago that was out on the streets, and, and or he said he was out on the streets, and I helped him three months ago. And, uh, and he told me about a place where he got a job, and we, we got him transportation, and we got him money, and we got him food, and we really took care of him. It, it ended up, and that's not about money. Turning in was never about money. But it ended up being about a $200 investment in the Lord. Had to be reminded of that, not in the man. I found out that he lied to me about being homeless, and he lied to me about the job, and he lied to me about some other things. And we, at, at the moment, I thought had squandered 200 bucks. And then I realized that we didn't do it for the man. We did it for the Lord. Now, for a moment, I'd lost my contentment. I didn't want to pray for the guy. I wanted to strangle the guy. I wanted to get that little twenty-five caliber gun that she used on the alligator and say, you're not going to do this to anybody else. This is your last stop, buddy. And I could find myself getting really uptight. You all know what I'm talking about. What happens is you're losing your contentment. You're losing your contentment. Did we do that for a man or did we do that for the Lord? And what happens then is the next time you see a homeless person, you're going to say, hey, I've been there, done that. I'm not going to help you. That's what the devil wants. He wants us to turn on one another. Somebody's going to say something bad about you somewhere down the line. Get over it. As a matter of fact, practice this. Everybody say, get over it. Turn to your neighbor and say, get over it. There are so many people rehearsing what's happened to them. Well, so-and-so said that they didn't like me. Well, there's more than so-and-so that doesn't like you. There's a whole bunch of people don't like you. Get over it. Get over it. Get over it. Get over it. And realize the only thing that matters is how do you feel about yourself and how does God feel about you? And if you feel that God feels okay about you, fine. And if he doesn't, change whatever you need to change. But if you don't like yourself, nobody else will like you. But I guarantee you this. If you're content with you when you look in the mirror, you're going to draw people to the Jesus in you. and People will be coming to you. I don't know what if you remember when we were we were driving somewhere else some you and I were driving somewhere and some guy come up and asked for twenty dollars we were driving to Tulsa do you remember that in the middle of the night you remember that twenty dollars and this is my first thought I don't want to give him twenty dollars and my second thought was why not I got twenty dollars now can you be taken advantage of never by God never by God and so I remember giving that guy that twenty dollars I had that twenty dollars says, if you, why would withhold anything from anybody if you have the means to meet it? Now, God is the one who will take care of somebody using you. But if you have that contentment in your life, you are going to be able to be used mightily by God. Now, I want, to, I want you to look in the book of Ephesians <coughs> because there are a lot of people today, I believe, my experience, who have a root of bitterness and they have not dealt with it yet. If you'll deal with the root of bitterness you will be set free. There's two scriptures I want to give you. Uh, one is in um, 
we're going to go to Hebrews, but I also want to share this one. It's Hebrews 12, 15. <clears throat> it says, look carefully. In other words, examine yourself. Look carefully, lest any of you fall short from the grace of God with a root of bitterness springing up because of trouble. A root of business, bitterness springing up because of trouble. By this, many become defiled. A root of bitterness will spring up and defile you, and it will cause you to be troubled in your mind and be agitated. How many of you know what it's like to have an agitated mind? How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's like my mind is, it's like that, that's what the washer's called, right? An agitator? Yeah, an agitator. Yeah. Pam agitated me one time when we first got married. I did the washing. I thought it would be fun to help her out with the washing. She said, don't you ever touch my clothes again to wash my clothes. She did not like blues, whites, and yellows all being washed together. She did not have a sense of humor at all. I do not touch my wife's laundry ever again because a root of bitterness always springs up. <laughs> I just thought of that. I'm sorry, honey. I'm sorry. But where are we going? We're going, to, we're going back to a... Ephesians chapter 25, is that right? It says, Therefore, putting away lying, each one speak the truth with his neighbor. We are members of one another. Be angry and don't sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, what may be something to give him when he has need. No corrupt communications proceed out of your mouth. Turn to your neighbor and say, You came the right day. No corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Don't tell me what Sally said about you. Glory to God. Just deal with that with Sally. But what is good for... We don't have a Sally here, do we? No Sally? Okay. Necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God, whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all... Everybody say, let all. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor... That's definitions of bitterness. Let all bitterness, which brings wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking, get rid of it right away. Let's all say it. All bitterness needs to go. If you have a root of bitterness, the Holy Spirit wants to root it out of you today, and I believe the Holy Spirit will. There are a lot of people that say, well, you just don't understand. You don't know what I've gone through. Paul was beaten, he was shipwrecked, he was snake bit. Everything he seemed to do, people turned on him. You will not be understood by a lot of people, but people are not your source. Don't let another person control your emotions. Don't make a, let another person make you bitter. I'm not confessing this over you, but my guess is between now and the rapture of the church, or between now and the time you go home to be with Jesus, somebody somewhere is going to do you wrong. Somebody's going to do one of your kids wrong. Somebody's going to do something you wish they hadn't done. Something's going to go wrong that you're trying to do, but is that going to affect who you are? Are you going to be like Paul? I don't. It doesn't matter what's happening to me, whether I'm in jail or out of jail, I'm content. Whether I have food or don't have food, I'm content. Whether I have money or don't have money, I'm content. It doesn't mean when you don't have money, you're not going to believe for money. Sure, we're going to believe for money. 
It doesn't mean that when you're sick, you're going to be content and not wanting healing. It just means if I'm sick or I'm healed, I'm going to be content. I am not going to let it control my emotions. If you live that type of life, it'll get that cesspool of poison. And bitterness is poison. Everybody say bitterness is poison. It'll get that cesspool of bitterness out of you once and for all so you can be who God's called you to be. It isn't that we're believing for things that happen like Paul happened, but we know that things can happen, but it's not going to affect us unless we allow it to. That's why I believe it says, give no place to the enemy, no place whatsoever. I believe that if you live this type of message, and if you desire to, it will unlock you for eternity. My mother, I love my mother. My mother was a wonderful person. She was wonderful to me as a mother. I praise God for her. My mother died with bitterness in her heart. She died with bitterness in her heart because when her mother died, 25 years before my mom died, my mother, my, my grandmother, had a ring that my mother loved. And my mother always wanted her mother's ring, naturally. But when she died, my aunt was involved in the situation, and my aunt got the ring, and my mom never got the ring. My aunt and my mom were best friends. They were like sisters all of my life. Because of the ring, my mom became bitter toward my aunt, and until she died, my mom was bitter toward my aunt. My mom was bitter toward my aunt after my, oh no, my mom died first. Actually, I think I'm confused. I don't know when she died. They both died about the same time. Yeah, they really did. The bitterness went right up until the end with my mom. If my aunt died earlier, then my mom was still bitter. My mom went to her grave bitter over a ring. Now, bitterness is no respecter of persons. Bitterness didn't just focus on my mom to my aunt. My mom became bitter about life. My mom became bitter about other people. And if anybody wasn't taking care of my mom the way she thought she would be taken care of, she was very bitter. Up until the time that bitterness came in, my wife, my mom was a giver. My mom was wonderful and kind and sweet and gentle. But from the time that she didn't get her ring until she went to home to be with the Lord, she locked up over that ring. There are things that many people are locked up over. And you think, well, it wasn't right. Get over it. It wasn't right that Paul was beaten. It wasn't right that Paul was thrown in jail. I don't think it was right the snake came out and bit him, but it did, and he just slipped it off and said, I'm content. How would you like to be sitting around a, a, a campfire, a snake come up and bite you, and you're so content, and you say, oh, that snake just bit me, glory to God, and you throw it back in the fire, and people look at you and say, you know what, we need to take you to a psychiatrist because there's something wrong with you. No, there's nothing wrong with you. You are content in all things, and that's how we should be. Somebody takes advantage of you, be content. If you've got a problem with somebody, go and talk to them, but don't lose your contentment over that situation. If we can live this message, it'll change our lives forever. Bitterness is poison. Bitterness is poison. And the bitter you are, and the more you allow the root of bitterness, the more poison goes through your body and through your